Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedicase. And now, get ready to think. So today we're doing something that we've done before. It's not our first time doing it, but we're here doing a live Q&A. So I want to take your questions on biblical worldview. Um, on the Christian message and how to share it in a compelling way, and in why it's true and how to explain that it's true. So if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in, then you've come to the right place. If that's not the sort of thing that you're interested in, well, then uh, maybe go find another page. Um, this is the internet. There's plenty of things to scroll. Uh, you might be interested in some choice views. Uh, or, um, some, I, I don't know, what do people watch? Makeup videos on YouTube? So, uh, but we don't have any of those here today. We just have a live Q&A dealing with theology, the Bible, Christian worldview, evangelism, and apologetics. Why the Bible is true and how to explain it. So here's what I'd like you to do. Please post your question in the comments on the Think Institute Facebook page or YouTube channel only. Don't post in one of those two places. I will not see your question. Um, so if you're watching right now on the um, in one of the groups that um, maybe I, I shared the... Uh, Oh, we've lost video. There we go. If you're if you're watching this in a group where I shared this, um, I I don't know that you're watching, and I I won't see your comments. But if you're watching on the channel, then I'll be able to see that. So right now, head on over to the Think Institute YouTube channel or Facebook page, and I'll be able to see your comments in real time and respond to them. Now, while we're waiting for comments to come in, I want to just give you a quick update on the Think Institute, the Set of Case family, what we have going on, what's new with us. And I want to put, uh, I want to address a misconception. So um, you may have seen one of my, one of my posts saying that we are moving to the country uh, or, or that we're moving out of Chicago. That is true. However, I don't want you to think that that means that our commitment to the city of Chicago or her churches has changed in any way. Far from it. As a matter of fact, uh, we are just as committed to the well-being of, of churches in the city of Chicago as we ever have been. Um, our work is going to continue. Our partnerships with Chicago churches and ministries will continue, and actually we have plans to grow them and expand them. So while I'm talking right now, feel free to post your question on the Bible, theology, world religions, hard passages in scripture, anything like that. You can go ahead and and post that, but let me just um, let you know, um, we have plans right now to expand the work that we're doing with churches and ministries in Chicago. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Right now, I am currently working on a curriculum for the Christian worldview and apologetics and evangelism for a local Christian homeschool co-op that my kids used to be a part of um, because we're moving, we're changing that. But um, 
it's just, it's a really amazing organization. And I'm working on a curriculum for high school students involved in that co-op. Um, my hope and prayer is that it will be something that we can use more broadly for other homeschool um, co-ops and, and other schools in general. It's, um, it's sort of aimed at a classical school approach, but should have application beyond the classical education model. So um, that, very much looking forward to that. Um, also, I'm working on an initiative partnering with Pastor Rafe from Worldview Wednesdays. Actually, a couple of initiatives. One of them is going to be something called the Think Sessions. And that's going to be sort of like an updated version of the Alpha course, if you're familiar with that. But it's going to uh, host and foster an intelligent collision of worldviews between the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldviews that are its biggest competition. And we're going to be looking at some of the biggest uh, objections and questions about um, uh, about the Christian worldview. And uh, it's going to be just a really, really great program. Um, more information is going to be coming out about that soon, but I'm really excited about the Think Sessions and where we're going to take that. So actually, please pray for us as we prepare that. Something else that I'm working on with Pastor Rafe as well, uh, I can't give too much detail yet because it's very much in the initial planning stages, but I want to do a debate, a live debate. I've done live in-person interfaith panels where there's been a Muslim, a Jewish leader, a secular humanist, all up on stage, and then me, yours truly representing biblical Christianity. And those have been a lot of fun, but I've never done an in-person debate. I've done a couple of online debates, but never in person. And uh, we want to do that. So pray for that. And then one other initiative that we have in the works is a video curriculum on evangelism in the Christian worldview. And that's something I'm working on in partnership with another local church here on the Northwest side. And uh, you can pray for that as well. But all this to say, our commitment to the city of Chicago and her churches and Christian institutions and ministries has not waned. Uh, it is it is waxing ever more uh, large and in charge. And that, that's what we're all about. We exist to partner with local churches and ministries to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian worldview. Now, um, I have to give a quick plug because in order to do this work, I don't do this part-time. This isn't a hobby. I, this is my life's work. And this is what I've been called to. And so uh, if you appreciate this work, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or somewhere else, or if you're listening later on to the audio podcast um, and you want this work to continue, please consider learning more about how to become a prayer and financial partner with us. And I'm going to put the information up on the screen here. But um, you can partner with the Think Institute and the Sedicase family by going to give.crew.org and then typing in our giving number, which is 1018841. That's my wife, Elisa, and my giving number with Crew. We are Crew missionaries. Uh, we're trained missionaries. Some people out there are trained Marxists. Shout out to BLM. Uh, we are um, trained Christian missionaries. 
And uh, I've been through seminary. I got my master's from Trinity up in the north suburbs of Chicago. And then we've been through crew training as well. So we are trained Christian missionaries and we rely on prayer and financial support from like-minded individuals and churches like you and like yours. So if you've been engaging with my content and haven't yet become a partner, I'd love to tell you more about it. You can sign up online or um, shoot me an email and I will um, I will uh, uh, send you information um, on how to become a, uh, a partner with us. So let me let me put my let's see here. I'm gonna put my email on the screen. You can simply email us at going to by going to thethink.institute slash no thethink.institute at gmail.com. Okay. Now we have one question that has come in. And it's from none other than Ilgin Cho. Ilgin, thanks for watching, man. I um I enjoyed uh I didn't watch the whole thing, but I enjoyed your interview on conversations that matter about uh trinity and i i did share that so uh, ilgen asks this he says how should i view the lord's supper i am currently a memorialist because i don't quite see calvin's view in scripture okay so calvin's view is uh, we're talking about a couple of different views of the Lord's Supper, also known as communion or uh, Eucharist for my liturgical friends. Um, and I do have liturgical friends. I've, I was just having lunch with my Catholic friend recently. Uh, shout out to Jeff. I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but uh, of course I'm not a Roman Catholic and he knows that. And I, I have uh, very little sympathy with the official teachings of Rome, especially the ones where I'm excommunicated um, and anathematized because of my belief in the biblical gospel, but um, I, uh, I have a lot of love for Catholics. I've got a lot of love. I've got Catholic family members who, whom I love dearly, Catholic friends. But, um, but what Ilgen is talking about is not the Catholic doctrine of the Eucharist, but specifically two Protestant views. There is the memorialist view, also known as the Zwinglian view, named after uh, Ulrich Zwingli, and then Calvin's view, which he says he doesn't find in Scripture. So Calvin believed that, and I, I might uh, be butchering this description, but hopefully I'm going to be accurate. Any of you diehard Calvinists uh, or reform types who want to comment on this, um, let me know. But Calvin's view was that in the Eucharist, we are sort of spiritually transported up into the throne room of God and partake of the Lord's Supper in a sort of a heavenly uh heavenly uh, environment. Um, whereas the memorialist view is strictly speaking, it's it views the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper as a memorial meal. And so um, let me just pull up the passage where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. But um, in the memorialist view, we are not transported anywhere. The body and blood of Christ are not physically, nor are they spiritually present in any special way during the taking of the elements. Um, rather, we we take Jesus' words a little bit more, um, what I would call as a more literal view. When he said, 
he said, this is my body given for you. And then he said, this is my blood. Uh, the, or he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And uh, we don't literally believe that it is the blood of Christ, actually speaking. Uh, we don't believe that it's the body of Christ. And we don't believe that because Jesus, when he instituted this ordinance, he was physically present with them. His body wasn't broken up physically, but rather uh, the bread uh, according to, to Christ, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Um, in other words, the the institution of the Lord's Supper is a memorial, how, however often you do it. And scripture doesn't say how, how often we are to do it. Many churches do it weekly. Um, some do it every other week. Some do it once a month. Others view it more, um, more in line with like a Passover type of uh, observance. And so they'll do it more infrequently. I don't think any particular view is wrong. Um, I can say I personally have not celebrated communion since my church stopped meeting back in March, my local church. Um, and we are, um, we did do one communion at home, which was guided by the, uh, our, our pastor sort of uh, with our family, but um, in terms of gathering with the local body, we actually haven't taken communion since March and um, in, in that regard. And we're actually in the process of transferring our, transferring our membership out of our local body and uh, into the new local um, assembly where we, we, we haven't landed anywhere yet. So I have not taken communion since March, but um, when I do take communion again, and when I have in the past, and when I've taught communion um, or preached on communion in the past, I do take a remembrance view. So 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what's the purpose, you might ask, of, of uh, taking this ordinance? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, in verse 26 of that chapter, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the purpose of taking the Eucharist is to proclaim the Lord's death, to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners like us, like you and like me, like Ilgen, like me, like sinners like my kids, sinners like your fellow Christians that you meet with in church. So, um, no, I, I don't think Calvin's view is biblical. Um, I do think, Ilgen, I do think that Zwingli's view is biblical. I think scripture is fairly clear on that. I know a lot of people would disagree, but I think According to the Bible, when we take communion, when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we are reminding one another and ourselves of the incredible grace that God gave us when he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sinners like us, for us, for our sins. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Um, when we eat the bread and we drink of the cup, whether it's wine or grape juice, we are intimately connecting ourselves with the, with the memory of the death of Jesus Christ 
for sinners like us. Now, if you're watching this and you're not yet a Christian, um, I want you to understand that this is something that we, um, as believers, take very seriously. And the reason why is because um, we recognize that we are sinners. We are weak and totally helpless, spiritually speaking. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's favor or God's grace. And so taking communion together does not earn us any of God's favor. It doesn't earn us any of his love. It doesn't secure us a place in heaven. Instead, it reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ secured our place in heaven by dying for the ungodly while we were yet weak, by dying for sinners like us while we were still sinning, uh, while we were completely helpless and actually enemies of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's the only question we've had come in. Uh, Ilgin, let me know if that was helpful. And um, if that's the only question we have, this is going to be a, a short Q&A. And that's okay. I'm perfectly fine with that. I've got some other work I can do. But let me just remind you again, if you're just tuning in with us, um, we require your support to keep this work going. And so you can partner with us or find out more about what prayer and financial partnership might look like by going to thethink.institute slash contact or by going to give.crew.org slash 1018841. We are crew missionaries. We require, um, we are funded by like-minded individuals like yourself. Um, okay, we got a couple more questions coming in here. Oh, boy. End times questions. Man, you guys. All right. Here we go. Ilgen, I see you have another question. Um, but let's take a question from somebody else. This is from Abby Pepper. Abby Pepper is from the UK. And um, hi there from the UK. Smiley face. Regarding end times, from a biblical standpoint, are we best to stay totally clear of so-called conspiracy theories? Or are we to engage wisely and carefully? Many thanks. Okay, uh, Abby, this is a great question because right now there are tons of uh, conspiracy theories floating around scripture, uh, sorry, floating around society. And we as believers need to be able to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. So um, in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was now was coming and and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And then that passage continues on. So scripture gives us a criterion for uh, determining whether or not we ought to listen to spirits and messages out there in the world. And um, the, the hallmark of that is we are to listen to the messages that declare that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that the believes in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is um, fully God and fully man, and he came the way the Bible says that he came. So uh, where does that leave us with things like, um, now, Abby, I don't know which particular 
um, conspiracy theory you might be referring to, you can feel free to um, comment sort of a, a follow-up there. Let me know which one you're thinking of. But I know in America, there's conspiracy theories. Uh, a big one that was real popular 20 years ago, 19 years ago, was surrounding the events of 9-11. Um, I got real big into that one. Um, I was convinced for a long time that it was a, a government conspiracy cover-up. Uh, now I'm not so sure about that, uh, especially in light of some other information that I've come across as I've studied that. But you specifically relate your question to the end times. So maybe you're talking more about uh, the mark of the beast and, you know, whether that's related to a mandatory vaccine or mandatory mask wearing, things like that. Um, let me let me say this. First of all, the Bible puts our mind at ease with regard to conspiracy theories. Isaiah 8.12 says this. So first of all, we do need to test every spirit. We need to test those who say that there is a conspiracy afoot. We need to test those who say that, that we ought not to engage with conspiracies. We need to test them for biblical truth. and But our primary allegiance is to biblical truth. Our primary message is to the incarnation, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the message that we need to be putting forward. And we don't need to align ourselves with those who deny that message um, in the pursuit of some sort of neutral version of truth. All of our truth-telling, Abby, needs to be in the service of Jesus Christ, to the furtherance of his kingdom, um, out of obedience to our Heavenly Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are gospel-motivated. Um, and I see that you sent a follow-up comment there. You say the conspiracies surrounding COVID-19 and suggestions around control and vaccines with the mark of the beast etc. Okay, so I was just reading in Revelation, actually, it's funny you mentioned this, about the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast, um, uh, first of all, before I get to the mark of the beast, Isaiah 8.12 says this, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Now, what does that mean? Um, First of all, it means that we are, um, we don't need to be afraid of conspiracies that are out there. It doesn't mean that there are no conspiracies. It does mean we don't need to be afraid of them. And we don't need to be conspiracy hunters. We don't need to be among those who are finding conspiracies under every rock. And um, the temptation, Abby, can be to discover a conspiracy or at least to become convinced by uh, the existence of a conspiracy and then to commit ourselves to putting information out there about the conspiracy over and against, I don't know if you're a believer, Abby, but um, over and against our primary message as believers, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our primary message. Now, within the gospel, there's a conspiracy theory. Um, here's what I mean by that. Jesus Christ was killed due to a conspiracy between the Jewish leaders and the Roman government. Um, Herod and Pilate and the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they all more or less conspired together. It was sort of a loose confederation to crucify Jesus Christ. 
And so he was the, vic- the victim of a conspiracy. And, and we know that conspiracies do exist. Um, but we don't need to be afraid of them. Psalm 2 actually authenticates this for us. And uh, if you look up the Christian standard version of Psalm 2, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. So um, the Bible authenticates the fact that there are conspiracies. Um, The primary target of these conspiracies, if they're being done from a worldly perspective by world leaders um, or powerful elites, is their goal is to According to verse 3 of Psalm 2, it says, let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. So these conspiracies, their goal is to liberate humanity from the um, the control and the authority and the presence of God Almighty and his anointed one. Well, who's his anointed one? Jesus Christ. Mankind has always been laboring to liberate himself. Man has always been laboring to liberate himself from the control, authority, and presence, also known as the lordship, of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. So there are real conspiracies. We we can acknowledge that fact without being afraid of them and without jumping on every single conspiracy bandwagon because the fact is the nature of a conspiracy is that we don't have all the information about it. So is there a pedophile ring running Hollywood? Is mandatory vaccination a government conspiracy or a conspiracy from the elites um, has uh, is is the COVID nineteen pandemic really better called a pandemic, or has it been hijacked by those with a conspiracy to uh, overthrow the West through communist revolution, or um, is even the communist revolution more of a tool to uh, really institute greater government control, which I kind of repeat myself there. Communist takeovers always invo- involve greater uh, government control. Abby, here's the thing. I don't know. I can tell you I don't like the idea of mandatory vaccinations. Do I think mandatory vaccinations are the mark of the beast? No, I don't. I don't. I think that the mark of the beast has more to do with fealty to a um, a worldly system. I think that there's a parallel between the right hand and the forehead. I think that's the, um, those are the marks that, um, th- those are the locations that God tells um, Israel to put, uh, to, to write his law. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, 8, uh, uh, the Lord says, in talking about, the commandments that he's been giving Israel. He says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as reminders on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So the right hand and the forehead are where God's commands are supposed to be. Well, the mark of the beast then would be uh, false teaching or fealty to the world, fidelity to the world system, which would be uh, sort of replacing the commands of God on our right hands or on our foreheads, so to speak. In other words, don't give up your Christian worldview, your biblical worldview, and swear your allegiance to the world system. Don't give up the bride of Christ 
out of allegiance to the whore of Babylon. I don't think that a microchip or a vaccine is the mark of the beast. Now, that being said, I don't want to get a vaccine uh, that man- mandated by the government. I don't want to get a microchip. I know enough about the science to know that those cause cancer. I know enough about the vac- vaccination process to know that they use stem lines from aborted children. Um, so I'm not I'm not cool with that. I don't I don't want to get that. Um, that being said, I don't think that that's the mark of the beast. Could I be wrong about that? I could be. I don't think I am though. I think what God cares more about is that we test every spirit and test them to see if they come from God. That we don't freak out about every conspiracy theory, whether it's Bohemian Grove, whether it's the Bilderbergs, whether it's the Council on Foreign Relations, whether it's um, the uh, various uh, uh, celebrity or what's it called? Ping pong pizza, Pizzagate and all that. Um, Look, you can look into these things. You can test them. But understand that those conspiracies run both ways. There are people conspiring to hide the truth from you about the elites, and there are people conspiring to misinform you about the elites and keep you in fear. So what do we do? We trust Christ. We don't call everything a conspiracy. And we, as much as we can, living in representative democracies, or I should say uh, democratic republics, we exercise our rights, um, including the right to bear arms, if need be, including the right to vote, including the right to free speech, but we also recognize that our, our, our primary citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. Um, and that means that we our, our loyalty is to Christ, to his scriptures, to the biblical worldview, and um, that's something that we can never give up. We're, we're to bind God's word on our hands and our forehead and never to swear allegiance to any other system or ruler above and beyond um, our relationship to Jesus Christ, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Abby, that was a long-winded response. Thank you for your question. That was a good one. Okay. Ilgen Cho asks this, what is your view on sharing the gospel at work? Secular. Some say it is unethical. I am hesitant to agree with that. Ilgen, I'm going to make this short and sweet. By any means necessary, within what you're free and able to do at work, without committing any crimes um, or let me say any sins, share the gospel at work. If that means inviting your neighbors or your co-workers out for a beer or coffee or a hangout time after work, do it that way. But I've, I've got no post Bible verses around your cubicle. There's no law against that. Now your company might have a policy and, um, whatever you can do to live at peace with all men, do that. Um, But um, share the gospel at work. Share the gospel at all times. Um, One of the things that I talk about in my trainings for evangelism is sometime appointments. Set a sometime appointment with your coworker or your boss. Uh, And that can be as simple as, hey, sometime I'd love to talk with you about your own spiritual journey and what's meant a lot to me or, um, you know, about, about my own, relationship with God through Jesus and how much that that is meant to me. Would you be interested in that? Sometime. Uh, it, it can be a really powerful way of opening the door to a further conversation. Um, don't be someone who flips tables and kicks and screams at work. Um, 
However, work within the system because the thing is your boss is not supposed to be discriminating against you for your Christian faith and, and the free exercise of your religion. Um, there's a balance there between getting out a bullhorn and, and broadcasting the gospel that way at work and completely silencing your gospel witness. You, you don't want to allow yourself to be silenced. One thing I will say is I know of someone, a good friend of mine, who is currently working um, to get Christianity included in the workplace um, under the umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which right now in most workplaces, a lot of companies are promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of ethnicity and um, quote-unquote race. Um, I say quote unquote because there's only one human race, or you can say there's the race of Christians and non-Christians. That's a spiritual category. Um, people don't like when I say that, but it's biblical, so I'm going to keep saying it. But um, I know of uh, a good friend of mine who's working to get Christianity and free exercise of religion included in the workplace under that umbrella. Um, so that's encouraging. But have a talk with your HR director um, if it becomes a problem. But for me, I, I, in areas like that, I prefer to um, ask for forgiveness later as opposed to permission beforehand. Yeah, share the gospel. Um, Jesus says if we don't give him glory, the rocks will cry out. Okay, Lucas Giolis asks, Since you brought it up in the description, talk about aliens. Do they exist? Should Christians worry about the discovery of aliens? Good question, Lucas. I'll give you my quick and dirty response to this. According to the Bible, the lights in the heavenlies, planets, stars, comets, are put there to mark the times and seasons on Earth. Um, I don't believe that there's another planet out there that has the same focus that God has uh, bestowed upon Earth. Not because we're intrinsically awesome in and of ourselves, but because God has bestowed his special attention on us. Could there be aliens out there in some remote planet? Yeah. But their planet would have been created, according to Scripture, to mark out the times and seasons on Earth. So that would be a little surprising to me. Um, I'll also say this. A lot of the so-called encounters people have with aliens um, have a lot of the same characteristics that back in the medieval times people used to have when they would encounter demons, uh, evil spirits. So I'm more likely to chalk up alien encounters more along those lines, more along spiritual encounters, um, categorize them that way. Or they could just be delusions, things like that. I do think that there's technology out there that we don't understand. I don't think those come from alien civilizations. I don't know where they come from. I used to be convinced it was governments. Now I'm not so sure. But, um, but recently the government has begun to release information about so-called off-world vehicles, things like that. I I'm skeptical about that classification. I have a very low level of trust in the official information that gets uh, released from our government, which again ties back into the previous question about the conspiracies. Uh, should we worry about the discovery of aliens? No, of course not. Look, if it turns out there are aliens out there, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Guess what I'm going to do? Share the gospel with them. If they're sinful, if they're not sinful, and it'll be a situation something along the lines of um, like the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, um, cool. Then they're, they're not sinful and they don't need to hear the gospel. They're just, you know, they would be more like aliens. I mean, uh, like a angels in that regard. But the Bible does talk about living creatures that are not interplanetary creatures, but more like interdimensional beings. 
man, what is a serif? What is a cherub? You know, go Google a picture of a cherub. I mean, it's like a four-legged winged creature with the head of a man. I mean, read read the descriptions of seraphim in scriptures. I mean, they're they're amazing. And they're called living creatures. So they're not called like spirits necessarily. So, um, but I do believe that they inhabit the, the heavenly realms. Um, I think scripture does teach that. I don't think that they live on some planet out there. Um, and am I worried about um, discovery of extraterrestrial life? No. I, I will say a lot of the ancient alien stuff that comes up, I think that there's some truth in that, but I don't think that they were aliens. I think that they were the quote-unquote sons of God, according to Scripture, um, angelic beings or heavenly beings, lowercase g, gods. I'm actually working on um, working my way through this book, Demons by Michael Heiser. And I don't know if I can fully trust everything that he says yet. I'm still working my way through that, but I'm going to be having Dr. Heiser on my podcast in a few weeks so I can uh, hash that out with him in the future. But I, I think we're dealing more with uh, what we would consider to be angelic beings than alien beings when we're talking about aliens. Hope that's helpful. Brian Zebarth says, speak on man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Some want to blame God for our sin. Thank you. Good question. Uh, two passages I will um, direct you to. Um, let's see. Let's see. Genesis 50.20 is the first one. And I'm looking up the other one. Um, it's from Acts. Okay, so Genesis, here we go. Genesis 50.20 is a great passage dealing with man's man's, uh, responsibility and God's sovereignty. It says, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's Joseph talking to his brothers, recapping, He's in in light of all that they've done to him, sold them into slavery, etc., etc. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Not God used it for good. Not God turned it around for good. Not God worked it out for good. God meant it for good. Same verb, same action, same event. God had a plan to use the evil actions of Joseph's brothers to bring about much good, that many people would be saved. In in a similar way, Acts 4.27 says this, The kings of the earth take their stand. Now, this is going to sound familiar because of the passage I just read to you from Psalm 2. But it says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In fact, This is the very city, he's talking about Jerusalem, this is Peter talking, where Herod and Pontius Pilate conspired with the Gentiles and the people of Israel against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They carried out, get this, this is verse 28, they carried out what your hand and will had decided beforehand would happen. So, who killed Jesus? Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, and God. I did a, uh, a podcast episode with Stephen Wellam several months back. Go check it out. It's called simply, Why Did God Kill Jesus? Um, why did I call it that? Because God the Father sent God the Son to be the Savior of the world. How did, how did Jesus save the world? By dying for our sins. Well, how did Jesus come to die? He was killed by evil men, by sinful men. Are they responsible for that sin? Absolutely. But it was God's plan. Does that make God a sinner? No. 
But as the author of this whole story in which we find ourselves, God is free to write into the story sinful actions that are authentically sinful, committed by morally responsible agents, who, although they mean their actions for evil, are nevertheless, in spite of themselves, taking the very actions that God planned in advance would lead to a good, holy, amazingly salvific end. This is believing that God is resp- God is sovereign and man is responsible um, helps us to deal with passages like Romans 9, Romans 8, 28 through 39, and um, pretty much all the other passages that uh, make it seem like man is doing things God doesn't want him to do. He is doing things that go against God's prescriptive will. Murder is always wrong. Murdering Jesus was wrong, but God always has a plan for evil. Uh, that's the, that's how amazing he is. That's how cool he is. He can do that. I hope that's helpful. Okay. All right. Next question. Iljin Cho. Again, he asks, how should I view the two witnesses in Revelation 11? Dude, I was just uh, listening to Revelation 11 this morning when I was shaving. Is that TMI? I don't know. Is that too much info? Ilgen, my view growing up was that it was two prophets, probably Moses and Elijah, standing in the city of Jerusalem, calling down fire on people. I don't think that's the case anymore. You know what I lean towards? And I could be wrong about this. I think it's the Old and New Testaments. Think about what happens when you quote from Scripture. Think about what the two witnesses do in Revelation 11. Anyone who challenges them, fire comes out from their mouth and burns them up. What happens when you quote Scripture? What happens when you preach the gospel? What happens when you show, as Paul did in the synagogues or Apollos did in the synagogue, when you show that Jesus Christ is the Lord and you prove that from the Old Testament? Or you prove it from the New Testament. What happens? Does fire literally come out of your mouth? No. But false ideologies, false teaching, false worldviews are burnt to a crisp, man. They're overcome. They're they're torn down. Um, I jokingly tweeted on on Twitter, of course, earlier. um, Would it be too worldly to say, for for a Christian apologist to say he wanted to be the John Wick of Christian apologetics? Why did I say that? Because John Wick is a uh, a master of gun and sword. And as a Christian apologist, I want to be a master of my weapon, which, what is my weapon? Not a gun, not a sword. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's word. When we become skilled at handling the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, as Paul instructs Timothy, we recognize that that. Scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword. Really, that word is probably best translated as dagger, or you might even say scalpel. That it's able to make incisions into the very soul and spirit of another person. uh, To cut them to the heart, so to speak. Not in a way that destroys them, although Scripture will destroy us if we don't obey it. We are condemned 
before God if we don't obey God's word and trust in in uh, God's son. But I'm sure you've seen this, Ilgen. I know I have. The way that scripture cuts people to the heart, convicts them of sin, and compels them to believe in Jesus Christ. So that to me sounds a lot like what is happening with these two witnesses. Um, there's more to that story that I don't fully have a way of explaining. They're killed. Everyone rejoices. You know, I don't know, man. Could that be um, the Pope outlawing, <laughs> the, the Catholic magisterium outlawing uh, the translation of scriptures into the vernacular, the common language of the day? I don't know. I don't know. If you have a better answer, let me know. Okay, here we go. Saints Edified asks this, Does Sola Scriptura lead one to believe that God no longer communicates with humans through dreams, visions, prophecy, etc., as he did before? Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Let's just read that passage so that we, so I don't misquote it or misunderstand it. All right. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 in the NIV, which is D.A. Carson's favorite translation, says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Can I just say this passage has such a high Christology? I love it. I love hearing about Jesus Christ being on the throne. He's the heir of all things. And he is the apex and the apotheosis of all God's revelation. The Old Testament points forward to him. The New Testament points back to him and forward to his second coming. And our lives are to point to Jesus as well. Now, does that fact mean that God doesn't speak to us or can't speak to us in dreams, visions, etc., etc.? No, it doesn't mean that. And that does not mean that your dream is on par with Scripture. It doesn't mean that either. Because God can speak to you in a dream that is not a dream for His church. It, it, it is not a dream uh, or a prophecy for all Christians at all times. That's the Old and New Testament. Your dream is not um, on that same level. In fact, you have to test your dream by Scripture. Scripture is the standard. Your dream is not. Could have been a pickle that you ate at three in the morning. Could have been, you know, something crazy that it could have been. You watched, maybe you were watching John Wick before bed and now you're dreaming about all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, that's because you watched John Wick, not because it comes from the Lord. How do you test your dreams? Go back, read scripture. See if it accords with the test that John gives you, the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I'm not playing too fast and loose with that passage. No, God, God, I do believe that God can still speak to us through dreams and visions and prophecies and things like that. Um, but woe to you if you make your hunch or your um, impulse or urge a binding on somebody else's conscience. Don't do that. You're free to share what the Lord reveals to you, but they need to go back and test that uh, with uh, against Scripture. Now, why, why do I not rule out dreams and prophecies, because Scripture doesn't rule it out. There is no passage in the New Testament that says God will not speak to us in this way. Hebrews 1 and 2 doesn't say that. The The passage where Paul says when the perfect comes, um, you know, when I when I thought like when I was a child, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, 
Um, uh, perfect means complete. Okay. Um, it does not mean, um, it does not mean that, um, prophecies and things like that cease. Um, we, it's not, let me say this. It's not talking about the closing of the canon. I'll put it that way. It's talking, I believe, more about the sec second coming of Christ and the coming of the new age, which hasn't happened yet. Okay, I'm not a full preterist. I don't think that the, the coming of Jesus Christ has fully come and therefore gifts have not ceased. In other words, I also believe that tongues are still in existence as well. So you might find yourself in the jungle someday needing to share the gospel with a tribes, tribesman. And the Lord may, might give you the ability to speak in tongues, um, it, which just means another language, by the way. It's not a secret prayer language or something like that. Don't fight me. I'm not a, I don't think that's real speaking in tongues. If you think it is, listen, test that by scripture. I know the passage. I don't want to go there. Okay. Gospel Ambassador says, hi, thank you for this Q&A. You're welcome. Abby Pepper says, many thanks, Joel, for going through this. There is so much confusion out there. I know of both Christians and non-Christians that have also been confused over all this. Thanks. You're welcome. Cheers to you. Um, appreciate the encouragement. Gospel Ambassador, do you know the book Every Believer Confident by Mark Farnham was recommended by James Anderson? I don't. Thanks for the recommendation. Iljin Cho says, very insightful. Thank you. This makes sense. Thank you, Iljin. Gospel Ambassador says, you are not charismatic. Meh face. Uh, that's that sideways slanty face. Listen to Dr. Brown. He did defend, defended it pretty good, I believe. You know what, uh, Gospel Ambassador? Um, I don't, depends on how you define charismatic. Um, probably not by your standard, no. And, and yes, I know about Dr. Brown, but um, let me just say, just saying somebody's name or saying the name of a podcast or book, that is not an argument. You seem like um, you're convinced, but if you want to, you know, reference a specific episode or something like that, uh, I'm more than happy to look into that. Uh, but to be honest with you, probably not because I've, I've um, done a lot of reading on this and, and research. I, I um, don't believe that. I don't, I don't know which part of what I said you're disagreeing with. So, I don't know what your what your standard for what it means to be charismatic is. I'm pro I probably don't fit it. I'm not a cessationist, if that's what you're wondering, but I'm probably not charismatic by your standard either. Saints Edified says, some may argue that 1 Corinthians 13.8 shows that tongues, prophecy, etc. will cease. Thanks for answering, brother. Yes, I know. I'm familiar with that argument. I think that they will cease. I don't think that they have ceased. I also do think that many under the umbrella of charismatic misapply um, their personal experiences, misinterpret their experiences. Um, look, I, I take Jonathan Edwards' position on this. There are positive signs and negative signs. Your personal experience of an ecstatic utterance or an ecstatic, you know, being slain in the Holy Spirit, that is not... That is not a positive indication that you are having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's not. Hindus have similar experiences. 
what you need to do is you need to test your experience by the word of God and not bind my conscience or anybody else's conscience by whatever you believe has been revealed to you. Now, that being said, could you, this is why I, I, I don't, I don't please anybody with my responses, uh, because I'm not very charismatic and I'm not a cessationist either. Um, anyway, all that to say, um, could you be having an encounter with the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to say no. Are you? Be careful. Be very, very careful. All right. Uh, Donna Flintke says this. Revelation says that the two witnesses are the two olive trees. Romans 11 talks about wild and natural olive trees, Gentiles and Jews grafted together. Perhaps the two witnesses are Jew and Gentile. Could be. Uh, but then again, Romans 11 talks about wild and natural. You are a, you, here's the thing, Donna, you are a wild olive branch that's been grafted in to the cultivated uh, non-wild olive tree. So the idea is you've been cut from the, um, I don't think that's talking about the same thing because you've been removed from the wild olive tree and grafted into Israel. In other words, you've through Christ, you've been brought into the people of God. That's why Jews and Gentiles together make up the eschatological Israel. I don't think that the two witnesses are like unregen unregenerate idolatrous Israel. Uh, sorry, unregenerate idolatrous Gentiles, which is I think what Romans eleven is getting at. You've been removed from that, and then regenerate Israel. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think I think that Romans eleven is talking about something different, which is that Jews and Gentiles are both united into one community of faith. I think that Ephesians 2 speaks about that, where it talks about the dividing wall of hostility, which is the law, has been broken down. So Donna, you and I are probably going to disagree because I know where you stand a little bit on the law. But Ephesians 2 says that the law has been taken down. We are now both together in Christ. Go back and read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, where it talks about all these blessings that we have in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We are together in Christ. There is no law, no Mosaic law dividing us. We are under, We are in law to Christ not under the law of Moses. And so I I would say that's not what Revelation is talking about. Unregen I, I think Romans 11 is talking about unregenerate, idolatrous Gentiles and the people of God who in the old covenant era were represented by Israel. Of course, not all Israel was saved um, or regenerate, but there was always a remnant. I think I think we're talking about two different things there. All right, all right, all right. Moving on. Hopefully that's helpful. Brian Zebarth, how would you engage a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness in a presuppositional way? Good question. Let me refer you to Saiten Brutenkate's website. It's called proofthatgodexists.org. On there, he has many different tracts, many guides um, interacting with different worldviews, including Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witness um, theology. Uh, what you need to do is this. Uh, Jeff Durbin has a lot of great resources on Mormonism where he engages Mormons. I've engaged Mormons twice. I was actually blacklisted from being uh, engaged with 
by the Naperville stake uh, of the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. I hate calling them that because they're not a true church and that they're not a real church of Jesus Christ, but that's what they call themselves. Um, why was I blacklisted? Because I engaged Mormons presuppositionally. Uh, I engaged their... their I'm not bragging. I, I'm not saying I'm like the greatest apologist to Mormons or anything like that. Far from it. But God's word is true. So how do you engage them presuppositionally? Get to know their documents. Um, find the inconsistencies, the the contradictions. And be prepared to reveal those contradictions. You can do that by going to proofthatgodexists.org. You can do that by listening to James White's debates with Jehovah's Witnesses on YouTube or Jeff Durbin and Apologia Ministries, Apologia Churches, uh, interactions with Mormons. Um, but listen, they both affirm that the Bible is true, although the uh, Mormons hedge their bets there because they they don't believe um, that the they, they think the Bible may have been corrupted. Uh, it hasn't, by the way. But they would say that uh, they do put a lot of stock in the King James Version of the Bible. So if you can study the King James and show where it contradicts Mormon theology. Look, there are a lot of contradictions in Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness theology, but find those. And then, in a good presuppositional way, put forward the Christian worldview, show that it rationally and consistently, without contradictions, answers the questions that they're trying to trying to ask, or you know, what they're trying to put forward. Um, and then compel uh, a compellingly offer them repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, you know what? Three questions that my friend Paul Kaiser told me to um, ask Mormons back in the old days when I was uh, uh, working with Paul Kaiser on a, a New Covenant Theology podcast. He says this, three questions you should ask. What do you mean by that? How do you know? And what are the implications of that? Take and use liberally, apply as needed. Okay, Nick Smeckler asks, not being a cessationist, at least there has been a dramatic change in quantity of sign gifts. Quantity of sign gifts? I can't speak to that, Nick, because here's the thing. Where the gospel is advancing in the world, which... The, here's the thing. The frontier of the gospel is global now, truly global. So I don't know numerically if there are fewer instances of tongues at the frontiers of the gospel, say North Korea, say certain parts of Africa or South America. I don't know if there are fewer instances simply because the volume of evangelism is so great. I can tell you this, I've never spoken in tongues, and I'm very skeptical of anyone in the established areas of Christendom where they claim to be speaking in tongues. So I've got a very healthy skepticism towards those things. I think you do too. Um, look, my thing is always this, take people to God's word, not to your gifts, uh, not to your dreams, not to your... I have had dreams that I do believe are from the Lord. But I don't talk about those on my podcast. Why? Because it's not God's word. I could be wrong. God's word is true. Let God be true and every man be a liar. So Nick, I share your healthy skepticism, but I can't put my flag in the ground and say there's 
this many, you know, now proportionally, like, are there fewer signs proportionally given how many believers there are in the world? Probably, probably, but there are so many more believers sharing the gospel today, numerically speaking, than there were in the first century. I can't say quantitatively whether or not that number has gone down in terms of raw numbers. I do think probably proportionally, yes, a, a vast proportion, a va vastly larger proportion of the world is, has been evangelized. And I tend to think you really see those sign gifts more on the frontiers, the front lines, where the gospel is just being introduced for the first time. Again, that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to die on that hill. Okay. Uh, great, great questions. Nick, guys, thank you for these questions. I love them. These are excellent. Gospel Ambassador asks, which apologetics YouTube channel and podcast do you recommend? Thank you. Here's what I recommend. Podcasts. Um, the Dividing Line with James White. Apology or Radio. Although their videos are better than their podcast. Um, the Two Tasks Institute is good with, with um, uh, my friend uh, uh, Paul. Paul. Man, now his last name is is uh, eva evading me. Um, I think Caldoun Swice is a good apologist. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Um, uh, well, Robbie Zacharias, all his stuff is very good, but he's not a presuppositionalist. I'm okay with that, but, you know, I do think presuppositionalism is more biblical. Um, the greatest debate that you're ever going to listen to is the great debate. It's on YouTube. It's between... Um, Greg Bonson and Gordon Stein. I believe it was back in the 80s, early 90s. I recommend it. Check it out. Very, very good. Um, I'm shooting from the hip here. Uh, I, I like Doug Wilson's stuff. Um, so I like his blog and May blog podcast and blog. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, Revealed Apologetics with e Eli Ayalas. Sorry. Elias Ayala is very good. I've had him on the podcast as well. Uh, my brother Parker and I have interviewed him. Um, he, the, if you want an introduction to presuppositionalism, check out Revealed Apologetics. He's very good. Um, if you want to get more into the evidence, I think Jay Warner Wallace does a great job of that. Uh, Mama Bear Apologetics is very good. Oh, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, that's Cold Case Christianity. Again, he's an evidentialist. I had him on my podcast. We hashed out our differences. He's a solid brother. Um, Mama Bear Apologetics. My wife loves them. They're not pre-sup, but they're excellent, excellent, excellent. I've had um, I've had Hillary Morgan Ferrer on my podcast. Uh, I want to get John Ferrer, her husband, on my podcast. Um, from from what I've seen. Uh, Alisa Childers is very good. I'm going to have her on the podcast soon. Um, uh, Monique Dusen, I don't know. I'm probably butchering her name, but she's with the Center of Biblical Center for Biblical Unity. Um, she does a lot of work combating um, wokeism, wokeness. Uh, she's very good. That's important now in apologetics. Neil Shenvey is very good. Um, a lot of, maybe that's a good, maybe that's a good uh, starting point. Also, I've got a blog post on my other blog, setacase.wordpress.com. 
It's called the Presup Starter Pack. I think if you Google search Presup, P-R-E-S-U-P Starter Pack, uh, you'll find a lot of information there. Um, Google my name, Joel Setticase, and then go to the, the Presup Starter Pack on my old blog. And uh, there's a lot of YouTube channels, podcasts, things like that, videos to, for you to check out. Okay. This might be the last question. Christian Shelton, friend of mine, says, um, which by the way, Christian, check it out, man. I started reading that book that you recommended. It's called Shrewd by Rick Lawrence. So I am taking your book recommendation and uh, I'll let you know what I think of it. But uh, Christian says, what's up with a manifest destiny? Was it actually real? Did God determine that white Anglo people should be able to displace and kill Native Americans because God decreed it? Fair question. This goes back to the earlier question about um, about uh, God's sovereignty and our moral responsibility. Um, was it was it morally right for white Anglo people, as you put it? I mean, really, Amer- Americans. You could say Americans to uh, move west and displace and even kill um, Indians, Native Americans. And I say Indians because um, having met and interacted with and worked with many Native Americans, they call themselves Indians, at least the Hopi do. So um, was that right? Well, insofar as the uh, whites committed immoral acts, that was wrong. That was immoral. Insofar as uh, they, uh, was it wrong for them to sign treaties with Indians and Native Americans, um, uh, no, that's not wrong. Was it wrong for President Andrew Jackson to um, the the, uh, the the sort of I think was he the first Democratic uh, de- president from the Democratic Party? Um, I am not endorsing any particular. Party, I have to get that disclaimer because I can't endorse candidates. But um, was it was it right or wrong for him to forcibly displace Native Americans and send them west on the Trail of Tears? Morally wrong, no question. Was that God's decree? Was that in accordance with God's prescriptive will? No, I don't think so. I think that was immoral. Um, I have a hard time seeing how the government is authorized to do that by Romans 13. Was it part of God's decretive will? Well, yes, in the sense that everything that happens is part of God's decretive will. Does God plan in his will? Does God have evil weaved into it? Yes, he does. Scripture says that. Does God use evil in spite of itself to bring good results? Absolutely. Genesis 50, 20 and uh, the passage from Acts 4 that I read earlier make that clear. As well as, I mean, every scripture is replete with that. Um, Do I, am I going to be an apologist for the United States government? No, absolutely not. Am I going to be an apologist for the the Trail of Tears or the Democrat Party or uh, the Republican Party or any other political party or movement where they've done immoral things? No, absolutely not. Um, Tested according to scripture. Was manifest destiny real? Like, did God want, did God have a special plan for America? 
I do think God had a special plan for America. I think God has a plan for every nation. I think that 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 plan involves good and evil. I do think that God's plan is always to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Um, It doesn't always happen the way we want it to. And sometimes it happens through evil people working in spite of themselves. I mean, here we are living on conquered land that used to belong to, or at least be inhabited by Indians, Native Americans, um, spreading the gospel. Does that justify any atrocities or immorality that took place to get us here? Absolutely, unequivocally not. Moral, it, moral things are moral. Immor, immoral things are immoral. Period. Always. God uses both to further his ends. God is always good. So, um, Christian, you know I'm a Calvinist, so hopefully that, that answer didn't surprise you. All right. Abby Pepper says that she really likes listening to Mama Bear Apologetics and Elisa Childers podcast too. Good. I do too. My wife especially does. She loves them. Saints Edify says, I have to go now, but great live Q&A, brother. Keep it up. You forgot to mention how Saints Edified is one of your favorite podcasts and YouTube channels to listen slash watch. Hey, listen, I, I will have to check you guys out. I don't know your stuff very well at all. I don't know your stuff at all, but uh, I'm glad you participated. I'm glad you watched. And uh, insofar as you are biblical, I endorse. Uh, <laughs> and I say that without... Uh, any real first-hand knowledge, but I really appreciate you watching, following along, and I uh, certainly mean <laughs> no disrespect um, by not having interacted with your stuff more. Um, hopefully you're out there putting out great biblical godly content. All right, guys, this went long, much longer than I thought it was going to, and um, uh, Saints Edified says, just giving you a hard time, brother. Dude, I know that. I appreciate it. It's good. If we can't do that, well, then what are we even doing here? To connect with the Think Institute, simply go to thethink.institute. Catch all of our back catalog of episodes by going to thethink.institute slash podcast. And let me give a quick shout out to um, uh, all those watching who have not yet partnered with us um, through uh, prayer and financial partnership. You can do that by going to give.crew.org slash 1018841. Why am I mentioning this? Why am I mentioning this three times on today's episode? Why? Because we need new partners, prayer and financial partners. You might think, oh, Joel's got a great setup. He's got a lot of people watching. He's probably totally well um, funded and everything like that. Guys, let me tell you, the life of a missionary is the life of always having to ask for support. We need new partners right now. We need like-minded individuals and churches and organizations to partner with us so that we can keep this work going, and quite frankly, so I can keep food on my table and keep my family fed and um, edified. So thank you. If you are a partner with us, God bless you. Thank you guys so much. If you're not yet, God bless you too. But please feel free to learn more about prayer and financial partnership. Um, Prayer is huge. I need your prayers. I can't tell you how much I am encouraged and lifted up by your prayers. Um, my wife as well. We've been through a lot over the last couple of years. We've been doing this ministry with the Think Institute. And, um, you know, where would we be without the encouragement and strengthening of the Holy Spirit? And so thank you for your prayers. Um, you can get in touch with us on social media. All of the... Um, 
all of the uh, networks were on there, although Facebook did restrict me today so that I couldn't share into groups. Um, I'm going to assume the best and hope that wasn't ideologically biased, but, uh, but it may have been. I don't know. Wouldn't be the first time that a Christian has been uh, uh, stifled on social media, but all, all the more to say that we need your support. We need your sharing. Uh, so help us out. Um, go to the think.institute website because we own that content until Squarespace uh, takes that away from us for preaching the gospel. But um, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. That's all I have for you today. And so until next time, I hope it made you think.